morning. All right, so as Pastor Randy said, Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verses one to fifteen. I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who, fourteen years ago, was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. But I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that. But I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would not be speaking, or because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surprisingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in prosecutions, in difficulties, for when I'm weak, then I am strong. I have made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. I ought to have been commended by you, for I am not in the least inferior to the super apostles, even though I am nothing. I preserved in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs, wonders, and miracles. How are you inferior to the other churches, except that I was never a burden to you? Forgive me for this. Now I am ready to visit you for the third time, and I will not be a burden to you, because what I want is not your possession, but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, do you love me less? Let's hear us put the declaration together. Lord, we honor your word to us. May your truth become our hearts perceived and our lives practice. Thank you, Paul. As always, we appreciate you reading for us. And God, as we appreciate you being here, and uh, I always uh, take very seriously this opportunity that I have to share God's word and, uh, and look into it with you. So, <clears throat> as we begin today, we're talking about the Apostle Paul, his life and his letters. And we've been uh, preaching and teaching on this passages, uh, on the passages having to do with those topics for the last three weeks. Today, we're talking about Paul's thorn meets God's power. And I want to just talk a little bit about that thorn in the flesh that Paul was just mentioning. Um, y'all focus with me here. Not that Paul, but the other Paul, as he's mentioning in his scriptures, okay? So as we talk about this, I want to look into what is happening with Paul 
why it is important for us to notice something about this thorn in the flesh and what he means. I'm even going to give you my personal opinion of what Paul's thorn in the flesh is. Now, that does not mean I'm right, but I, I feel pretty strongly about it. I feel pretty good about it. And if you have other opinions, you can corner me after service and we can arm wrestle over who's right. Okay, it's all good. I'm fine with that. So, we'll check that out later, but for now, I want to talk about Paul's thorn meeting God's power. So, let's talk about something to learn right off the bat, and here's what we see. We see when one looks at the Apostle Paul's life and letters, the resume that he has includes at least 14 books of his in the Scriptures. It could be more, could be less, uh, pardon me, it could be more, but it is no less than 14. He took at least three missionary journeys, again, Later on, you'll see that some scholars uh, even believe that there was a fourth missionary journey that happened after the book of Acts. But we know that he planted at least 14 churches on two continents, the continents of Europe and Asia. And when I say there was a church plant, I'm not talking about a church plant. I'm talking about the living organism of a church being planted in a city where there was nothing there before. And so that's what's going on. And as I said, many scholars believe Paul had another missionary journey after the events told in the book of Acts. So let's keep moving to our next slide. And as you see here, these are the list of churches. And these are not as foreign to you as you might think. You've heard of the book of Corinthians, like what Paul and Joku read just a few moments ago. That church, that letter that he read, was written to the church at a city called Corinth, which is still in existence today. It's in Greece. You can see uh, the city of Ephesus as well as Philippi, which is also in Greece. The church of Colossae, guess what the name of the letter that he wrote there? It was a letter to the Colossians. You guys see how this is done, right? And so whenever you hear of Paul's epistles, that's a fancy, biblically scholarly way of saying his letters. Because all he was doing was trying to connect with those churches that he had planted or begun. And he was trying to connect with them and either encourage them or admonish them to walk away from some things that they hadn't gotten quite right. And kind of remind them of some things that he taught them or the way that he lived among them. And so there's a lot of things and a lot of reasons going into these letters. But these churches, by the way, Thessalonica, uh, there's a city called Thessaloniki in uh, Greece. And so one day, I'm going to let Shelly take me to Greece. Uh, I just want you to know that, Shelly. You can take me to Greece. We'll go see Thessaloniki, and we'll go see Philippi, we'll go see Corinth, and uh, that'll be awesome. So I'm excited uh, about that one day, because these are real people in real places that even exist in modern times. So when you read these things, you can think of something that was so far away and so out of our normal, but it's not. It's very real in real cities even to this day. The Church of Iconium, Pisidian, Antioch, Lystra, Derby. These are all churches that were in the region of Galatia. And so if you think about the church, uh, Galatia, the churches in Galatia that was written that letter, those were the ones that he planted in those particular cities. Cyprus, Crete, Berea, Athens, Troas. You probably recognize at least a couple of those cities as modern cities as well. And so Paul was out there in the real world planting churches where nobody had ever even heard of Christ and what he had done. So it was important, important work. It was really, in effect, his life's work. And it was so beautiful the way that God took his life's work of planting churches and his desire to write letters and merge them. And Paul's life and letters are all encircled around being a blessing and encouraging the church 
in this way. So we see Paul's whole purpose in life was to go to tell and then to even encourage as he goes on. So let's keep moving here. And I want to just mention, don't miss this. Paul was on track to follow in the footsteps of his rabbinical teacher, a man named Gamaliel, who was a member of the Sanhedrin, similar to our Senate or Supreme Court for the Jews. But he chose to come to people through God's power, not trying to impress them with his own accomplishments. In other words, Paul, when he talked about it, he's like, hey, I want to be honest with you. I was actually doing pretty well in the life that I had before I came to Christ. I started over not because I needed to start over, but because I realized the error of my ways. He said I was advancing in Judaism, and as I was doing that, I was making it ahead of other people. I was studying at the feet of a man named Gamaliel, who was one of the most famous rabbis in all of the, uh, all of the Jewish world. And so he was making advances in every way, but he stopped once he had that Damascus road experience. He changed the whole course of his life. Not because he wasn't making a successful way, but because he saw the error in that way. How many of you guys know that it's possible to succeed at something that you don't really want to succeed in? Can I get an amen? I mean, I, I've heard it said that you can get all the way to the top of the ladder of success and realize that all the while it was leaned up against the wrong building, right? I mean, that is true. And so I would encourage you as we talk today and as we talk about Paul's weaknesses that you and I would maybe look at our own lives and re-examine them the way that Paul did. Because I promise you, Paul was not the kind of guy who was somebody who had to apologize for who he was in himself, but he instead intentionally humbled himself and embraced a posture of meekness. We'll talk about that in a minute. But embraced a posture of meekness and said, you know what, I'm here to serve, not because I don't have the ability to have someone serve me, but because I want to be like Jesus was. You guys see what I'm saying here? I want to stop. How many of you guys have heard that word meekness before? Okay, hold on just a second. <clears throat> Everybody listen. There's two of you that raised your hand. I know y'all have heard of meekness more than that, so let's, let's try that again. Okay. How many of y'all have ever heard of meekness before, right? You have, right? How many of you have a tendency, like I do, to think that meekness equals weakness? We do. I mean, y'all don't have to raise your hand. I'll, I'll get out on that limb and start sawing it off on my own. All right? That's fine. But here is the truth. Whenever we think somebody is willing to serve, sometimes we take advantage, not because they're not worthy of our respect, but because we just simply do that in our world and our society. And in that ancient society, it was not any different. Do you remember as Jesus sat down at the Last Supper, and he sat down at that place, at the place in the table that all his disciples were around him, and as they sat down, they realized that nobody had come to wash their feet. And that's not a big deal for us because we have tables like this that sit up and we just kind of hide our feet under the table. But in those days, you were reclining and kind of leaning back on pillows with your feet towards the table, and if you didn't have clean feet, it was a pretty unappetizing situation. You guys with me? And so nobody was unaware. Every single person was fully aware that there needed to be somebody who would wash the feet, but not a single person would do it. And so the only one who was actually worthy of being the one who said, I'm not doing that, Jesus got up 
And he walked over and he took a towel and he took a basin and he went to each and every person, including Judas, who would betray him. And he washed their feet. And Peter was so humbled at that time. He's like, Lord, you're not washing my feet. You're not doing that. You're not going to be to me what a servant would do for me. You're not doing that. I'm not letting you. And Jesus said, no, no, no. I'm doing this because I want you to understand later that this is important and this is powerful. Meekness does not equal weakness. And in Paul's life, this man who was advancing above everybody else decided that he would shift things around and instead of pursuing that path, instead began to pursue a path where he served the church. Did y'all hear that part that Paul read where the he said, you know what? I'm your spiritual father. I, I started that church that you are now in each and every week. Those people that you know now as fellow believers, I began that thing. And yet you want to judge me. You want to say I'm not worthy. You want to say I'm meek and I'm weak and all of these things. But I'm the parent and you're blaming the parent. But I'm not going to change things. I'm not going to demand that you respect me. I'm going to say that I'm the parent and I will give everything for my children, spiritually speaking. You see what Paul is saying? He's saying it doesn't matter that I'm the one that should be being served by those people who I tried to reach to. That's not what I'm doing. I'm going to serve instead because I want to be like the one that I ultimately serve. Not you, but him. You see what Paul is saying? You, you understand what's going on? So all of this is happening. And I want to mention one other thing. You might have mentioned, or you might have heard Paul read that passage that said, I know a man who was caught up into the third heaven. Third heaven, okay? So hang with me real quickly. It's pretty easy. But if you don't know what this means, it's a little confusing. Third heaven, caught up into the third heaven, what does that mean? When Paul is saying that, he's saying, I was caught up into the third heaven. So you can look in the sky and you can see birds flying in the heavens, the first heaven. Okay? You guys with me? Or you can look even further and see the stars that you can't see during the day, but they are in the second heaven. You guys with me? Okay? So the third heaven is where Paul says he was caught up into. And this is what the Jews referred to as the presence of God himself. What we call heaven, that presence of being in the Heavenly Father's presence for all of eternity in the home that He's prepared for those who love Him and know Him as personal Savior, right? So, not the first heaven where the birds were, not the second heaven where the stars exist and the sun is and the moon is, but that third heaven where God is literally pulled me into His presence. So that's what's happening. And these people who are judging Paul for not being strong enough and not being bold enough says to them, you know what? It's not like I don't have anything to brag about. There was a time that I knew someone, and I'm not going to say his name, but his name rhymes with, you know, that kind of thing. And I know that he was pulled up into the very presence of God, and he heard things that can't even be put into words. He experienced things that can't even be put into words. He saw beauty that can't even be captured with the human tongue. All of that happened. And then, as he left that presence, instead of leaving simply elevated in his spirit, he also had an elevated spirit but a thorn in the 
flesh so that he wouldn't be proud and say, I have experienced all of these things. That's what Paul is saying in this whole story. And the reason he's saying this is because the people at Corinth were following the wrong people who were there to get their money and to lead them astray and take them down the wrong road. But Paul said, I'm not going to just let this happen without playing every single card I've got. And the card that I don't want to play, but you forced me to play, is to tell you that I'm an apostle and I promise you I've seen things and heard things and experienced things that I can't even put into words when it comes to knowing who God is and what he's about. But I'm here to tell you, I'm not going to brag about that, but I am going to encourage you to understand if people are bragging about their credentials constantly, they're probably not Christ-like in the first place. Can I get an amen on that? Can I get an amen? I mean, because truthfully, a spiritual leader is not a person who say, I'm bragging about this and I'm bragging about that. Paul's like, I'm going to be meek and I'm going to appear to be weak. But when I am weak, I am instead showing God's power and his strength. So I've gone a little long there, but here's what I want to share with you. Paul's thorn from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's go to our next slide here. And we'll pick up some, some speed. Because of these surpassing great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming, becoming conceited, I was given a thorn of my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. God's power meets Paul's thorn. That's what we're talking about today. Now, I just shared with you the idea and the concept of Paul's thorn. And I will tell you what I believe it to be. And I will tell you that there are people that speculate. Some of the more popular theories of what the thorn was for Paul include temptation, a chronic eye problem, malaria, Migraines, can I get an amen? <laughs> You're a migraine sufferer. Like, that is a thorn in my flesh, right? Um, epilepsy, or even a speech disability. Some even say that Paul's uh, thorn refers to a person, such as Alexander the coppersmith, who did Paul great harm, according to 2 Timothy chapter 4. No one can say for sure what Paul's thorn in the flesh was, although, to be honest, I'm about to try. <laughs> but. It was a source of real pain in the Apostle's life. Now, I want to just share this with you. Have you ever thought, you, you don't need to raise your hand, you don't need to do anything, but have you ever thought, if I were only more perfect, I could make a bigger impact? If I were only good in that area, then I could make a bigger impact. Do you hear that that is the exact opposite of what Paul was saying? He's saying, I left behind all of those things. And in the midst of it all, whenever I am weak, that's when God shines through even stronger. I'm here to tell you that God's power overcomes human weakness. And the glory flows not to the person, but to the giver of those gifts in the first place. If we can get ourselves to the place where we cease to try to be perfect, but we try to constantly give praise to the Lord, then things begin to change in a supernatural way rather than a human way. Because truth be told, we as humans are trying constantly to impress, but that is not something that actually makes an impact. I'm going to talk more about that in a minute, just a minute later. But it is not what we actually think 
we think that's what it is. Here's what I say. This is my thought. One of the things that Paul says over and over again is that if he would have had his thorn removed, then he could have been more effective in in God's work. The same thing that we tend to think as well. But my belief is, is that Paul's eyesight was his thorn in the flesh. And I'm going to tell you why. And I'm going to kind of share some scriptures with you. And then that way, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. If you don't agree, that's okay. But this is my belief. If you remember when Paul was on the Damascus Road, he was struck blind for three plus days where he had to have someone lead him around by the hand. You guys remember that? Y'all remember that? So we know that he had some kind of trauma to his eyes that lasted at least three days to the point of where he literally couldn't even walk around. And then Paul later connects a heavenly vision, this is the, from 2 Corinthians 12, where he received with that source of the thorn in the flesh. And so he says, I received revelations, but I also received a thorn in the flesh. And so that revelation that he got on Damascus Road could be the one that he's speaking about because he heard from God himself. This is two reasons why I believe, but how many of you guys have ever watched an infomercial, The Wait? What? There's more, right? Okay, so let's keep going. Let's talk about this from uh, from the Damascus Road experience in Acts 9. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision and said, Hey, Ananias, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. In a vision, that man named Paul or Saul has seen Ananias come and placed his hands to restore his, what? His sight. So that's one more reason that I think that, okay? But wait, there's more. Let's keep going. As we go to this next one, again, Ananias is sent. And as he says those words, Brother Saul... God has sent me to you so that you might receive your sight. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. So there were a number of days where Saul slash Paul could not see. Those are two of the reasons and some scriptural backing, but let's keep moving here. And we go to this next slide here. The third reason is, is that Paul told the Galatians in Galatians chapter 4, verses 15b, he said to the Galatians, I would testify, you loved me so much that if you could have, you would have torn your eyes out and given them to me. In other words, for some reason, Paul said the Galatians wanted them, uh, wanted him to have their eyes rather than his own. To me, that would say it's a weakness that he's dealing with. Those are three of the reasons that I believe that Paul, I have more and it's coming, okay? Just let me share this with you. Let's keep going to the next slide. Here's the big idea. And I want to just break up what we're talking about because sometimes we can forget that this thorn in the flesh that we're worried about and that I want to share with you that I think I know what it was, it's not really what it's about. The thorn in the flesh is just a reminder that we are not sufficient on our own. You guys understand what I'm saying? That we by ourselves and with the strength that we bring, we're not going to make the impact that we want to make. The truth is, is that we don't need to be more perfect. We need to be more perfect in our resting in God and His power. So weaknesses are not failure, but failure to address those weaknesses correctly almost assures it. Here's what I mean by that. If you don't realize that you have weakness, then that's a big problem for you, and it will always be a blind spot. How many of you know that you're in danger if you don't know what's in your blind spot? I won't ask, I won't ask, but if you've ever had that experience before, 
I know you're driving down the road and something's in your blind spot and then you go to make that back before the cars used to beep at you right you know what I'm talking about and oh, you know scares you to death you jerk back this is what happens to us personally if we don't know what's in our blind spot and some of us we don't want to admit that we actually have weaknesses in our life and so we have a blind spot and we put ourselves in danger when we don't know that but then some of us know we have weaknesses but then what, what do we do? We pretend that we don't. Well, we pretend that nobody sees them and we're just going to hide them away. And when that happens, you know what happens, right? How many of y'all have ever heard somebody say, ah, I don't want to be around, around a bunch of hypocrites. That's why I don't want to go to church, right? You've heard that before. What would the world think of the church? If every single one of us as Christians quit trying to hide our weaknesses and just simply said, you know what? I'm a person, man or a woman, who's got lots of problems, lots of issues, and there's a lot of things in my life that are not perfect. But here's what I know. God has said to Paul back in the day that his power is perfected in weakness. That the weakness that Paul had made him trust more on God's power than his own ability. And because of that, that's what I'm shooting for. Now, I know that it's hard for us to say that much, but think about if we approached our life that way, there would be a whole lot less people that are judgmental of the people within the church if we were willing to admit what everybody else sees, right? The weaknesses that we already have, and it would take away that idea that we've got to keep some weird um, facade up to fool people because it's just not happening anyway. Weaknesses are not failures. We can embrace them. And if we do, then we will have some life in our life. But if we fail to address those weaknesses correctly, we almost assure failure will find us. And I wanted to soften that. <laughs> I wanted to say, ah, maybe that's a little too harsh. But the more I thought about it, the more I believed this. You may be a person who knows you have weaknesses and think that the world is fooled. They don't know of your weaknesses. But here's what I would share with you. If you will share the weakness, then you take power back. You take power back by saying, I am weak. Just as Paul said, I am weak, and therefore, because of that weakness, I am strong. And here is what I would also share with you. Most people already know that you have a weakness. They may know it specifically. They may not. I don't know. But if you pretend that you do not, you're not addressing it correctly. And people will say, that person thinks that they're perfect when everybody knows they're not. That sets you up for failure. And people, I don't know about you guys, but when I see somebody who thinks that they're perfect... I, I watch and I'm like, I think it's only this close to a time when the perfection eventually falls. I know, I should be better than that. Y'all pray for me, okay? But that's true. Don't ever set yourself up as the perfect person. When Paul says, I have weaknesses, he takes the power away from those who want to attack him. He's like, hey, they're not saying anything that I didn't already tell you. I have weaknesses. But here's what I do know. I lean into those weaknesses so God's power shines through. Weaknesses are not failure, but failure to address them correctly almost assures 
that failure that you're trying to avoid. Could you guys say this with me on the count of three? Ready? One, two, three. Weaknesses are not failure, but failure to address them correctly almost assures it. Now, I want to pick up some speed and let's keep moving here pretty quickly. Don't miss this. The early church is often glamorized as a model church as we look back. But on closer review, Paul's letters to those churches are full of clarifications of what sound doctrine was because they didn't have it right. (laughs) And then as well as how to make sure to live holy lives as God's people in a sinful world. In other words, sin of the world was creeping into the early church. And you know what? Sin in the world creeps into God's church in 2023. Nothing's changed because human beings have not, what, changed. This is who we are. We still have issues and problems. Pretending we don't have those weaknesses that are dealing with outside the church is a problem for us. We just need to admit we've got problems. And so if that happens, then we can lean on God. Let's keep moving here. Let's go to our next slide. Let's talk about Jesus in this passage of Scripture that Paul read to us. Jesus is the example of the power of vulnerability. He willingly laid aside his power and position to connect with mankind and to walk the path that we walk. In Philippians chapter 2, he says that he humbled himself to death, even to the death on a cross. Put himself through things that we can't even fathom. So let's keep moving in our next slide here. Don't miss this. Strength impresses vulnerability impacts. You guys know what I'm saying here? Y'all hear what I'm saying? Have y'all experienced this? You have, right? Strength impresses. Oh, they've got all of it. But then you start listing the people in your life who have made the biggest impact on your life. And they are not famous. And they are not in any way, shape, or form close to perfect. They were willing to say, you know what? I screwed up. I messed up. And this is what happened. But I will say that God blessed anyway. Now, parents, can I talk to you for just a quick second? Can I talk to you, parents? Don't try to impress your kids with your perfection. Do your very best to lead them down the right path. But if they ever say, well, what about you? That's a fair question. And that fair question is something that you can attack in this way. I've never said I'm perfect. I don't want you to make the same mistakes I made nor deal with the same consequences that I've had to deal with. It is weakness, and yet in that vulnerability, it impacts your kids rather than impresses them. Now, I want to say just a little bit more. I want to go just a little bit deeper. If we're worried about impressing people, then we will never make an impact. It's one or the other. Because the most important thing about making an impact is being authentic and real. Now let me ask you guys a question. This is participation time, okay? How many of you know, you've seen it even in your kids or you've seen it with a friend, where they ask you a question and you admit to a failing or a fault or a weakness and they go, really? And then they, you can feel that connection happening on a whole different level because you were willing to be weak and vulnerable. 
Have you ever had that experience? It happens. It happens. So if we want to impact, then we must be vulnerable. If we want to impress, can I just say, our whole world is desperate to impress people in every way possible. Impress them. And that's why so few people are actually having an impact on this world. I'd go on, but I won't. I just want to share that with you. And let's talk about this a little bit further. Let's keep moving to go back to was Paul's eyesight his thorn. Paul uses scribes to write his epistles or letters to the churches. The, he often signs them with his own hand, including these passages of Scripture. So in other words, somebody else writes the whole letter for him, and then he basically writes, signed, Paul. And then Paul says later in a particular passage of Scripture in Galatians and 1 Thessalonians, this is how I write. Or, see the large letters I use when I write my own name? In other words, it makes sense that a guy who couldn't really see would probably tend to write a little larger in the way that he writes. Now, can I just share, you're all like, well, what does this really matter? I mean, you're speculating. Can I go a little deeper? What is Paul known for? He, in many ways, is the cornerstone of the church. He not only planted the churches, but he gave us the theological doctrines and the letters that he sent to those churches like Romans and First and Second Corinthians and all of these others. Now, let me ask you a question. Would it be easier for Paul if he had great eyesight to write all those letters? Would he be more effective in God's work if he didn't have to rely on other people to do the thing that he could have done himself if he didn't have that issue? We all say, yeah, of course. Why in the world would God cripple him in the very work that God wanted him to do? I'm going to ask that question again, and I want you to think about this. Maybe not just now, but later. Why in the world would God hinder him in some way in the very thing that he wanted him and called him to do? Because, again, those things that impress are not those things that actually impact. Paul needed people. When Paul was on his own, he did not need someone else. And yet now, when he becomes a Christian and he is hurt and unable to see, in my opinion, he needs somebody. He has to have them there. And so it's not about Paul. It is instead about God who provides the power that is going on. Let's keep moving here to our next slide. These are 21 of Paul's friends. If you think Paul was a man who was doing it all on his own, if you think he was some sort of superstar, you've got it all wrong. The truth is, is that this is a group of people that all are Paul's friends, people that followed him from church to church, city to city, to go and be a part of God's work. Some stayed in their city and helped while he was there. Others traveled with him. Those are the ones that traveled with him there in white. And they all went with him wherever he was, not because he was Paul the Apostle, but because he was going to do God's work and impact, not just simply a small influence. Now, let's keep moving as we go. Let's talk about three things that we have to develop, and let's hit them pretty quickly. Three mindsets that we must develop. We develop a dependence on God and others rather than self. 
This is exactly what's happening for Paul the Apostle. He's depending on God, and he's depending on God's people rather than himself and his own abilities. That's what he used to do. Now, in his weakness, he is made strong. Let's go to our next slide. You remember I told you this last week. Saul, who is also called Paul. That name Paul means small in stature, but it probably was more about the humility that Paul was showing in the way that he dealt with people. Paul, before he became Paul, was Saul. And Saul was not humble. But after years of following God and becoming a person who went and served church after church and person after person, he became known as Paul, the one who was humble enough to serve, even though he was probably the greatest mover and shaker in all of the early church. How is that possible? Because he intentionally stayed humble and said, in my weakness, God shines the brightest. Now, I, I want to keep moving here. So let's go to this third, uh, three things that we developed. This second thing, we see weakness as either obstacles to overcome or tensions to be managed. And I want to go to this next slide real quick. I just wanted you guys to see my breakfast area uh, that I had, uh, just a small uh, kitchen that I had this morning. I, you know, just kind of threw a little coffee together and that kind of thing. Um, okay, this is not my kitchen, because if you look closely, that is either mountains or a coastline in the background. This is not my kitchen. But have you ever had your kitchen kind of look and feel like this, and then look like this like the day after? Because you cooked one meal? It's not fair. It is not fair. Like, this is how it should look, and then this is how it ends up looking after one meal. I don't know why that is. I will say, anytime I try to cook Chinese food, I end up having like 16 things, you know, it's like a wide thing. But yes, go back, you can see, this is what we want people to see. The reality looks a lot more like this. Now, I promise you, if you could make your kitchen look like the one before, like this, it will only take a day or two before it comes closer to looking like this. You know why? Because life happens in a kitchen. Can I get an amen? Because if you are cooking, things start piling up. And messes get made. Now let's talk about your life. <laughs> you want them to think that it is the other. But the reality is life happens and it starts resembling this. And whether or not we want to believe it or not, there are things in our life that will never get fixed. I'm going to say that one more time. There are things in your life that will never get fixed. You will always struggle with them. And if you decide that you're going to pretend that that is not true, then you will distance yourself from other people. They will think this is you in real life. And everybody... Think the museum's beautiful to visit, but they sure don't want to live there. Can I get an amen? You know people who want to show off like they're a museum piece, but then you also know people who are real, and it doesn't have to be quite that messy. All right, don't jump back to that other one because you know it's just too much. But I just wanted to make sure to get your attention. But what Paul is saying goes right along with the Andy Stanley quote that I think is so powerful. There are things in your life that are there to be resolved, 
but there are also things in your life that will never be more than attention to be managed. You guys understand what, I'm, what he's saying here? There are things that you can fix, and there are things that you can just manage and work through constantly with constant use. Uh, a kitchen is like that. A garage is like that. Right? No matter how clean the garage is, I promise you, you're going to need to do it again in six or eight months at least. Why? Because the life happens in the garage, in the kitchen, in the living room. And it's not going to look like a museum. But if you will invite people into the reality, then you can make an impact the way Paul did. Let's keep moving here very quickly. All right. This third thing that we develop, we see weakness as an issue. God's power and grace can cover, not as a thing or things to be hidden or ashamed of in our life. There are some people who are spending tons of their waking moments trying to hide the reality of their life rather than just simply bringing it out and saying, this is who I am. And I'm not proud of every piece that's not great, but I'm just who I am. And God is making me into somebody that I was not before he came along. The truth is, is that Paul chose to intentionally be humble and he knew that he would be misunderstood. Let's go to this one slide, and then I'm just about finished. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, to this first Corinthians letter, this same group in Corinth that he was writing to, these people that later would turn their back on him as not nearly powerful enough, bold enough, not impressive enough. And how many of us worry how much we're impressing people? And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom. And I pause and remind you that he had it. He had it in his back pocket, but he did not use it because he wasn't there to impress. He was there to impact. So as I proclaim to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling, and my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, and then that next slide, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on, what's the last couple of words there? On God's power. In other words, the more impressive you, the more impressed you are with me, Paul, the less you will look to the one who can actually change your life. Therefore, I am glad to be weak. And I'm glad when people say he's not very impressive. He doesn't speak well. He doesn't always say the right words. Why am I glad for that? Because when I am weak, then he shines because the power of the truth shines even when the vessel is weak. For us, there are a couple of questions that we need to ask ourselves. The questions that we have to develop a different mindset. And here's the questions that I want to share with you. Let's go to our, our, our big questions. I've got two different ones. Here's the first one. How do you handle your weaknesses? By the way, <clears throat> notice I didn't say, do you have a weakness? Just in case you do, how do you handle it? I didn't do that. You know why I didn't do that? Because I already know. Not your specific. But if you're human and you're breathing, you have a weakness. I don't know what it is, and I don't need to know. But the question that you have to answer is, how do you handle that weakness? Is it something that you hate it and become bitter? Or do you hide it at all costs? 
What did Paul do? He didn't say, I'm so ticked at God because I'm just trying to do what He wants me to do. And how much easier would it be if I could just simply see the words that I'm writing down on this parchment? How much better and how much more effective would I be if I could just simply see things the way that I want to see them? I wouldn't have to count on people showing up when they say they're going to show up. And I wouldn't have to wonder if somebody is going to catch the next ship into where I'm being imprisoned. He didn't have any of that attitude. Not a single bit of it. He said, I'm willing to be weak so that God's power will be seen in a powerful way. So for us, we see Paul and he says, hey, I asked three times that God would take it away from me. He knows clearly I'd have a better situation in human thought if it'd be different. But he said, no. He said, lean instead into my power rather than your own. So that's what I'm doing. And so instead of being angry and hating it and becoming bitter about it, I'm just simply not going to hide it and I'm not going to hate it. Instead, he says, in this next slide, he leans upon God's power and God's people to sustain and empower him. That's what he did. So again, I bring it back around to us. And this may or may not seem very clear to you, but I want to share this with you as we close. And I'm going to share a video and then we're going to close. But here is the truth. In 2023, People don't care about substance as much as they do the sizzle. <laughs> they don't care about the, the sheen of success. That's what they want to see. They don't care about what's really underneath. They don't value integrity the way that I wish they would, the way that you know God would love for us to say, ah, truth, <laughs> vulnerability, all of these things. We value it, but not on a grand scale. Personally, we do. But in a world where everybody is desperate to impress, whether it's accurate or truthful or not, Paul shows a different way to make an impact. And I'm here to tell you, I don't know who you want to impact. Maybe it's your grandchildren. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's the people at work. I don't know who it is. Maybe it's your family, your extended family. But the only way that you're going to do that is not to be better, but to be vulnerable and say, in my weakness, can you just see the strength of God that actually could change your life? I can't. But if you will follow the path that I'm walking towards the one who could actually change, Paul says, in my weakness, He shines, and I am strong. So, good news today. You don't have to choose to try to impress. You can choose vulnerability, and you can instead make an impact. I hope you'll consider it.